How are we? We good? All right, let's get to work. We'll start in Philippians. I sound just like that on the podcast, too, don't I? I start everyone the same way. I can't help it. I can't help it. Hey, it's good to be here, man. It's good to be here. <laughs> All right, let's get to work. Let's get to work. Uh, I don't know how much you know about Christian history or how the gospel began to spread, but for the first 200 years, it was strictly urban. In fact, the word pagan um, is a Greek word for redneck, all right? It, it, is, it, it is, there was the urban setting where the gospel took root and took place. It was a city thing, and then those outside of the city were the unbelievers. So the word pagan really means outside the city. They were uh, rednecks. I ain't dogging, I'm just saying they were rednecks. And so how the gospel spread, it was very simple. His primary mission, missionary was a man by the name of Paul who went to the major metropolitan areas in the ancient world. And, and so if it, was, if it was rolling out now, it, it would be London. It would be Hong Kong. It would be Manhattan. It, it would be Shanghai. It would be Beijing. It would be Philly. All right? <laughs> I don't know if it would be Philly, but I'm, I'm playing to the home crowd. All right? And he would go in, he, he would get into the cultural centers of the city, and he would preach and proclaim the gospel. That's how it happened, all right? Um, there, there are some statistics historically that show us, really, by the time Constantine says he's a Christian, the emperor of Rome, that there's already 80% of the Roman Empire, 60% of the Roman Empire, uh, depending on who you read, that's already professing Christ as Lord. So it wasn't that Constantine made Christianity, but Christianity made Constantine. This is what you see happening. And, and so all I want to do, I want in my time with you, I just want to celebrate the gospel with you. That's all I want to do. I want to talk about the gospel. I want to talk what it does. I, I want to show you what it does, A, socioeconomically. Uh, I want to show you what it does racially. I want to show you what it does in regards to circumstance, and, and I want to show you how this thing ends. And so let's go Philippians chapter 1. Philippians is a strange book. Let me tell you why. Um, in every letter of Paul, Paul writes a bunch of letters to the different churches. He starts out by going, hey, I love you, and then the rest of the letter is quit doing that and start doing this. All right? So you go, to, you go to Corinthians 1 and 2. He's going, I love you, grace and peace to you. Quit that, start that. Start that, quit that. Go here, don't go there. Don't eat that, eat that. Okay? You go to Ephesus. He, he'll break it down theologically, then break it down practically. But the letter, the nature of the letter is a nature of rebuke. Quit this, start this, go here. So as you read, even in 1st, 2nd Timothy, the pastoral epistles, what he's doing is teaching, hey, do this, avoid this, go here. Philippians, completely different. Like Philippians, there's no rebuke in Philippians. It's the only letter of Paul that we have where there's not a rebuke. Therefore, I contend that Philippi was the most mature church. They don't get off into crazy things. They don't take something that's good and right and swing the pendulum until it's wrong. They don't rebel against this and swing over here until it's wrong. They're a mature people. And, and you're going to see that even in chapter 1. Paul loves this church. Like if Paul has a city, it's Philippi. All right? If Paul has a city he likes to go to, likes to mingle with, likes to think on, that encourages him when things are dark, it's Philippi. 
Look, you, you'll see it. I, I, I'm not making it up. Here we go. Philippians 1. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and Lord Jesus Christ. Standard Pauline greeting. Flip to any letter that Paul wrote. The, a version of that intro is there. Okay? That's basic Pauline entry. But look at where he goes next. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began the good work in you will be faithful to carry it on to completion in the day of Jesus Christ. Listen, it is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart for you are all partakers with me of grace both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel for as God is my witness I yearn for you all with the affections of Christ Jesus and it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes from Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Do you hear it? He loves these people. I yearn for you with all the affection that's in Christ Jesus. All the affection, the affection that has a man, a, a man, God in the flesh, slaughtered. That's a legit amount of affection. And Paul says, with all the affection of Christ, I yearn for you. I love you. He loves this group of people. Now, I want to show you why. I want to show you why. Um, mark it, all right? So stay here in Philippians. Keep your finger here because we're going to finish this chapter before I let you eat lunch. But go over to Acts 16. I want to show you why he loves them. I want to show you what happened when he showed up in Philippi. Acts 16, we're going to pick it up. We're going to just pick it up in 12 because I don't want to try to pronounce all those cities. Just be embarrassing. I haven't been to seminary, man. I don't know how to pronounce that stuff. 12. And from there to Philippi, which is the leading city in the district of Macedonia in a Roman colony. All right? A legit city. This is London. This is Hong Kong. This is, we, this is Philly. We remained in this city some days. And on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to the riverside where we supposed there would be a place of prayer. And we sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. One who had heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods who was a worshiper of God. And the Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And after she was baptized and her household as well, she urged us saying, if you have judged me to be faithful of the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. So let's talk Lydia. Lydia is from Thyatira. That means she's Asian. All right. Thyatira is also one of the seven cities of the ancient world, another big booming city. So she's also an extremely wealthy woman because she's got a house in Thyatira, but she's got a house in Philippi. She's got a house in London, but she's got a house in Manhattan, but she's got a house in L.A. This is outside my tax bracket. Yeah. I have visited different cities. I don't own different houses in them. All right, now, let, let's keep going. 
She's in the fashion industry. Seller of purple goods, fashionista. Devil wears Prada. Here she is. Here she is. All right? So you've got a wealthy Asian woman, all right, owns a house in London, owns a house in Manhattan. Self-made woman, strong, smart, vigilant, disciplined, powerful. And watch how God goes after her. How does he go after The Bible tells us she's a God-fearer, so let me try to explain that to you. Uh, a God-fearer was uh, a person who had rejected um, paganism, had rejected polytheism, rejected the idea that there was a God of the wind, a God of the rain, a God of the weed, a God of the God of the wheat. They, they, they just didn't do it. She didn't believe it. So she believed in one God. She believed even that that one God was Yahweh, but she wasn't willing to become a Jew in order to become straight up into Judaism. So she simply listened to the teachings on the one true God, but she refused to go through all the ceremonies to make herself a Jew. I'm, I'm guessing she's Asian. I'm, guess, I'm guessing she, she liked the pork and, and she didn't want to. Sure. Sure. She liked the bacon. I get it. I'm not judging her. That's a good piece of meat. All right. So she's sitting in. Now, watch how God goes after her. God goes at Paul, steps in, and, and where is she? She's at a Bible study. See, Lydia, Lydia's rejected the idea that there's a bunch of gods. She sees that there is one God. She knows what the law is, right? She, she knows what the law is. Don't covet. Don't steal. Don't take the Lord's name in vain. Don't take, she knows the law, but she also knows she's fallen short of it. You, ain't, you don't ever have to be a genius to know you've fallen short of it. Any liars in here? Liars? In, okay. Uh, in, anybody ever seen someone else get something and think they didn't deserve it, but you deserved it, so you kind of got frustrated at them? I don't trust you anymore anyway. You already said you were liars. <laughs> I won't do murder, but... Have you ever just been angry and not sure why you're angry and in that took it out on someone else that didn't really do anything to deserve that anger? All the married people said yes. <laughs> All the married people said yes. Uh-huh. Yeah, okay, so it doesn't take a genius. We're not talking to genius here. Everybody knows something's wrong. Everybody knows something's gone wrong. All right, it, let's say we... we we jumped out of here, went down to Barnes & Noble or some bookstore. What, what's the largest section of books in any bookstore? Self-help. What's that? That's humanity going, something's not right, so let's try to solve it. Get a better body, get more money, have better sex. Right? It, let's try to fix it. I mean, Oprah wouldn't have a show if the world didn't know this. Her whole show is, something's gone wrong. Let me, let me lead you out of it. Please don't email me about your love for her. I don't, I'm not trying to dog her. I'm just saying she's got a show because of this reality. I'm not, not trying to start a fight in here today. I'm just saying she might be from the devil. But let's go. I don't have time. I don't have time. We can't podcast it. We can't podcast this now because she will have me killed, murdered, and no one would even care. They'd be like, what happened to Chandler? 
she'll hear you. All right, we don't have time for this. Okay. So everybody knows something's wrong. Lydia knows something's wrong. She knows she hasn't lived up to the standard of the law. She knows she hasn't made it. But in the Old Testament, in the Torah, there is this idea of atonement. There is this idea that one can, by bloodletting and by letting the scapegoat carry the sins away, in some kind of ambiguous, weird way, there's this idea that's confused her about atonement, that her failure to live up to the law can still be made right through sacrifice. But the text is that she's confused. So she's in Bible study. She's trying to figure it out. Our boy Paul steps in and explains it to her fully. And Lydia, the fashionista, Lydia, the wealthy Asian, Lydia, London, Paris, L.A., has her heart opened up to the gospel of Jesus Christ and becomes our sister in, in Philippi. That's what happened. That's what happened. So the gospel works on wealthy Asian women who own houses everywhere, and whose aptitude is intellectual. So the gospel works there. It works there. So good for the wealthy Asian women. Let's keep going. 16. And we were going to the place of prayer where we were met by a slave girl who had the spirit of divination. In the Greek, that's a really interesting text. It just says she has the spirit of the python. And brought her owners much gain by fortune telling. She followed Paul and us crying out. These men are servants of the most high God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. Now that sounds like, that sounds like a compliment. It's not. It's not. So we'll keep reading. I'll come back and start unpacking this. And she kept doing for many days. And Paul having become greatly annoyed. I just love that that's in there. I don't even know why. Because I get annoyed. And so I, feel, I start feeling guilty. And then I'm like, no, Paul got annoyed. <laughs> he turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus to come out of her. And it came out that very hour. You know what I love about Paul commanding the spirits? One of my favorite, one of my favorite stories in the New Testament is in Acts 17 um, when um, the seven sons of Sceva try to cast out the demon and the demon responds to them, I know Jesus Christ and I've heard of Paul. I have always loved the fact that they knew who he was. I just love it. I know Christ and I've heard of Paul. Is he coming? And then when Paul didn't come up, the demon turned on him and beat him naked. I've always liked that part too. Because, you know, if you see a fight, like if you've seen a fight, there's always debate about who won. If you came into the squab with pants, and when it was over, you were not wearing pants, you lost. You, there wasn't, no, nah, he got a good shot in. There wasn't, there was... He beat the clothes off that man. He beat his clothes off of him. Okay, let's go. Okay, so let, let's go now. You've got Lydia, racially Asian, um, socially, economically wealthy, all right? You've got aptitude, intellect, and, and now we've got the slave girl that's on the complete other end of the spectrum. She's Greek. She's exploited. She's impoverished. She's hard-pressed. She's taken advantage of. She's beat down. How does God go after her? Not a Bible study. 
like Paul didn't stop this chick. She is manic. Get in your head what's happening here. She's following. It'd be like me trying to preach right now, and a girl up in the balcony is like, He's a proclaimer of the gospel! And the deacons are like, No, shh, shh. He's a proclaimer of the gospel! Shut up, girl. Drag her out, all right? She is manic. She is out of control. She is spazzed out of her mind. Paul doesn't turn around and go, let me explain the Torah to you. He doesn't give her a Bible study to go through. He does not give her a book to read. This is not an intellectual aptitude. He doesn't engage the mind. He blows her soul up with power. So he turns and says, this is over. Get out of her and she immediately falls to the ground because now no longer dominated by fear no longer seeing that the demonic powers in her life are her master in an instant jesus becomes more glorious more powerful more beautiful more profound than anything she had seen up until this point to this point she had been a slave on the inside which forced her to be a slave on the outside in an, in an instant Jesus is better. Jesus is more beautiful. Jesus, we we got no Bible study here. That's not how God came after her. God, God didn't come through a book. He didn't come through a study. He didn't. He comes in power. All right, so Lydia, wealthy Asian fashionista, intellect, gospel takes root in her heart. Slave girl, doesn't even have a name. Doesn't even give her the name. Shouldn't have a name. Slave girl. Exploited, impoverished, manic. Gospel comes through power. Our sister. All right, now watch what happens next. Watch what happens next. So, so far, good, good deal. If you're a wealthy Asian fashionista, or an exploited slave girl. Let's keep going. We'll pick it up in 19. But when her owners saw that their hope of gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. Now listen very carefully to this. 20. And when they had brought them to the magistrates, they said, listen, listen carefully. These men are Jews and they are disturbing our city. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or practice. That's an argument of race. They just drug them before the consulate and said, these Jews who are not like us, who have customs, music, style, and dress that is not like us, they have come into our city, our city. The accusation is one of race and culture. Look at what happens here. 22. The crowd joined in attacking them, and the magistrates tore the garments off them and gave orders to beat them with rods. And when they inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. So the jailer was ordered to do what? Keep them what? Safe. Take care of them. All right? Now watch this. Having received this order, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. Now... Um, part of our problem here with this is because of who we are, we think 
when we think of stocks, we think of like 17, 1800 uh, America where you got your head and your hands in like this and you're standing up and people walk by. In the, but but that's, not, that's not first century Roman stocks. This is contort your body and lock it up so it'll begin to cramp, so it'll begin to hurt, so, and then just leave you there. The jailer, Roman jailer, is asked by the magistrates to keep them safely, and instead he tortures them. Okay, let's keep going. Keep going. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. I mean, that just blows my mind. He's all contorted, body cramping up. I got a river of life flowing out of me. And the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundation of the prison were shaken and immediately all the doors were opened and everybody's bonds were unfastened. And when the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried out with a loud voice, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. And the jailer called for lights and rushed in. And trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds. And he was baptized at once, he and all his family. Then he brought them up into his house and set food before him. And he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. Let's unpack the jailer. We've got wealthy Asian fashionista. We've got ourselves an enslaved, economically oppressed, taken advantage of, demonized girl. And now we've got ourselves a blue-collar Roman GI home from the war who got a job at the jail who's so duty-bound to Rome that he sees these Jews as a problem and tortures them. And the jailer is not an intellect. He doesn't want to join a Bible study. And he thinks the charismatics are goofy. He thinks all the hooping and hollering, throwing yourself on the floor and singing for an hour and a half is crazy. So he don't want to babble and talk about the existence of life. But he he ain't going to a two-hour worship service either. Here's a good way to say him. He's indifferent. He's not anti-God. He just don't care. Not anti-gospel. Just never crossed his mind. He's just minding his own business until a concrete example of a greater joy and a greater duty, an example of living that blows up his framework is before him, and he can't handle it. And he weeps. I mean, are you tracking with what happened? I mean, Paul, who just got abused by this man. I mean, you want to talk about the weight, power, beauty of the gospel that, that Paul's just tortured by this racist bigot. Tortured. Beat up. Mocked. When people torture you, they don't speak life into you. Can you imagine what wickedness is coming out of this man's mouth when he's beating Paul? Now, God sprung him free. Now, Paul's going, oh, God's going to avenge me. God's going to kill this man now. No. 
God's going to save this man now. I mean, how big is that? That's why I always just try to, man, the gospel of Jesus Christ doesn't cause wars. It ends it. Right? Unless you're dumb, unless you don't want to read your Bible, unless you want to just take the gospel and make it something it's not. The gospel ends wars. It doesn't start them. Why? I don't have to get revenge on you. God will save you by the grace he saved me, or one day he will avenge the harm that you've put on me. I don't have to take vengeance into my own hands. I'm free from the weight of that. I don't have to do that. I get to pray for you, ask God to give you the same grace he gave me, and if you don't want that grace, he'll handle it on that day. Maybe even let me watch. I don't know. I fantasize. I don't know. I, don't, I ask for forgiveness for that. Sanctification. I'm, I'm still in process. Still in process. Paul, Paul doesn't run. He stays in there. And in so doing, by example, by the way he decided to live his life, blows up this man's framework, and he becomes a believer. Okay, let's go. Back over here. Lydia, fashionista. House in Philippi, house in Thyatira, Asian. So much money, she doesn't know what to do. Just completely done up. Intellect. Gospel penetrates, changes everything. Slave girl, economically oppressed, taken advantage of. Emotive. Not not exactly sharp. Emotive. Gospel penetrates, changes everything. Roman, Greek, Asian, Roman, blue collar, indifferent, just wants to put in 10 hours at the prison, have a beer, and watch the game. That's all I want. I I want the recliner. That's what I want. Gospel penetrates, changes everything. Isn't it interesting that this man, so indifferent, not intellectual, not overly emotive, comes in, falls on the ground, starts weeping? (laughs) Lord, I'll always take you where you don't think you have the ability to go. Sure. And what just happened in Philippi transcends every barrier that blockades men and women from one another and creates a new humanity. It's a new humanity. It isn't your custom, my custom, their custom. They're all these customs that belong to the one creative, beautiful God. And then can I throw this one out? Because I've pastored a church that was predominantly 20-somethings for the first couple of years. Say, say you're a little bit older in this place, and you're looking around going, I mean, like you're, sus- you're looking around just thinking this is suspect. I mean, just look at all these, like, kids just been shaving for like a year and a half. And, um, well, Pastor, I got a boy, Pastor E's age, and you might, that might be where your mind is. Well, the, the gospel blows that up. And so I, I want to throw this out to you just as in a way of an appeal. You can go find a church that's predominantly 50 and 60-year-olds and chew grass and talk about the glory days until you die. Or you can get in the fight and help here. Because there are young men who need older men to look at. There are young women that need older women to look at. So why you would want to pasture yourself already blows my mind. And if you're 20 in here, by virtue of your age, you're a little dumb. I'm just saying, I'm not trying to dog you. You could even be beyond your years. But you're still 20. 
like when you're 20, something can happen, and you'd be like, how are we going to do it? I don't know how we're going to survive. I don't, I don't think we're going to make it. And, and 50-year-olds are like, please. Please. i tell you how you're going to make it. You're going to eat dinner and go to bed. You're going to wake up tomorrow, and you're going to live hard, maybe get a nap in. Probably not, though. And you're going to go to bed, and, and the Lord's going to sustain you. And so what happens when you get churches that are primarily one generation is the faith gets retarded. It retards. It doesn't grow to what it's supposed to be. And it's arrogance on both ends that causes this. It's 50 and 60-year-olds look back, oh, I, don't, I don't like all that. It's all so loud in here. I don't know. We don't do it like that. We do it over here. And then it's arrogance over here that, that looks up there. And it's like, oh, cold, dead, old, scaly, crunchy. I don't need it. It's tired. That's tired. Just tired. Go die. If you would die, we could move on. We could go do what's next. If you could... It's, fo- it's, stupid. it's foolishness on both. Like God's plan to grow the body is what? Older men pour into younger men. Older women show younger women how to be godly women. So there's humility on both or there's sin in both. So can I tell you this? Like urban hip-hop, beauty. Man, you ain't stumbled on anything new. Yeah. Well, it just, there's just some more bass involved. There's a, you, you didn't stumble. Hey, people were worshiping long before. There were drum machines. They were, people were getting saved long before. Long before. We didn't stumble on any new. It, it's just, if you'll, if you'll give me this, it, it's, just our, it's just our turn to run a little bit. So older, let us run. Let us fail our way while you pour your life into us. We'll listen. We'll listen. See, the gospel blows up this idea that this is over here and this is over here and this type of thing is over here and this type of person is over here. And this. You see what just happened? A rich, like, like in what world do these three people get together? Like where does that happen? Like, where does the blue-collar, old Milwaukee-drinking, ball-game-loving, prison-working man sit at the table and drink from the same cup as the fashionista CEO with a house in Paris and a house in L.A., while a former slave girl sits across and drinks from the same cup also. See, the gospel blows it up. It just blows it up, man. Just absolutely blows it up. And where this is seen, it, it blows up anybody's perception of who we are. It really does. And where this isn't seen, well, you don't see the fullness of what Christ died to bring. Yeah. He, he didn't, it's not just your personal salvation that Jesus is doing here. So be careful of that. That's a very American idea. Sure, sure. All right, so what we're seeing here, let's go back to Philippians. What we're seeing here is the gospel transcend race, transcend socioeconomic status, transcend background, transcend aptitude. All right, so you got a a guy that's not overly smart, overly emotive. You got a girl that's completely emotive. You got a girl that's completely intellectual. Man, two women, girl, older woman. It's all, he's just tearing it up. He's just ripping down walls. Now, the gospel not only transcends 
age, race, background, aptitude, but watch what it does to circumstances. Okay? 12 of Philippians 1. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. Now, what has happened to Paul? He's in prison. That's where he is. Now, what I need you to do is get your head out of 09 prison. This is not HBO and a bench press. This is not, all right, this is not humanitarian defense. This is not Geneva Convention. This is no advocates. This is, he doesn't have to be tried. You don't have to ever try him. Now, he's a Roman citizen, which is going to help some. But they don't have, they can leave him locked up forever. All right? He is in prison. And what he just said, now follow me, because some of you love the Lord because you think he's going to make life easy and not difficult for you. It's a weak, empty, genie, Santa Claus, ridiculous, unbiblical type of idea. And not only that, I don't even know how that works for you in your head. Because it ain't even happening for you. I'm going to follow the Lord and he's going to bless me. He is going to bless you with him. The good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ isn't that if you follow him, you get everything you want. It's that you get him and he'll be enough no matter what. And that's what you're starting to see. Because here's what he just said. I have seen, I have witnessed that me being locked in prison unjustly has really advanced what God wanted to do. And he's not even bitter about it. He's actually excited. Look at what he says. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. So it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And now listen to this. Here's the second thing. So first thing is that him being in prison, the gospel has flown throughout the whole imperial guard and everyone else who is in prison. So he's going, people who would have never had the chance to hear the gospel, see the gospel, experience the power, are doing that because I'm in prison. Look at what else happens because he's in prison. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. So I go to prison unjustly. I'm taken advantage of. I'm locked up. I'm tortured. But the gospel's known in the imperial guard. The other prisoners are hearing it. And those who at one time were timid are now fearless. Lock me up. All right? But there's one more thing. And this one kind of looks like this is the one I think they would try to stir up and make you bitter. But he didn't get bitter about this. Okay? Look, look what happens next. Look what happens next. 15. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of rivalry, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in imprisonment. All right, so here's what's happening. Whenever you get a dominant leader, like a strong man of God, dominant, strong, knows the word, walks in power, fearless, and that man is pulled out of a community, the young bucks want to fill that spot. They want that respect. They want to be looked at like that. They want to be, it is not gospel driven for some of these cats. It is pride driven. It is, I want to be the man. 
I want that respect that Pastor E got. I want that respect, Pastor Deuce. I want that respect that son. And so they try to get in there. It has nothing to do with the furthering of the kingdom. They're not thinking, oh, this work can't stop. We've got to keep this work going. They're thinking of themselves. So Paul's in prison, and while he's away, all that he worked to build up is starting to be torn apart by young bucks, some of whom are preaching Christ for no other reason but rivalry. All right? You'd think that'd eat away at you, huh? Because some of those guys, I guarantee you, Paul sat down with some of those guys. He had a cup of coffee with some of those guys. He poured into some of those guys. He discipled some of those guys. And now, second he's in prison, they're trying to come in and tear down what he built. Look what he says, though. I mean, look at the gospel transcending this. The former proclaimed Christ out of rivalry, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me, imprisonment. 18, what then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed. And in that, I rejoice. So Christ is preached, even by the dogs. God will sort that out in the end. And in the end, to shame them and glorify himself, he will use a dog to glorify his name. I mean, it's... And Paul... Paul's not, Paul did not write in the letter, hey, when, when you see Josiah, punch him in the throat. <laughs> Say, that's from Uncle Paul. That's <laughs> not what he did. Didn't say that at all. He said, I know they're wrong, but let them preach. I mean, come on. So the gospel's transcending all of those things. So it transcends if you want to surrender to the gospel. I know some of you don't want to surrender to the gospel. You like religion too much. It's easier for a season until it destroys you. But whatever. We don't have time. You've got it transcending race, class, background, aptitude, which means the intellects hang out with the emotives, hang out with those that are just kind of straight. It means the Asians hang out with the blacks who hang out with the whites, who hang out with the Hispanics, who hang out with the... It means our cultures cross. It, it, means, it means that the wealthy sit next to the poor. The poor sit next to the real poor. Huh? There's a difference. There's a difference. Sit next to the exploited. Sit next to the... Right? And whether we live to be 80 or die at 30... We're a part of his great story, his great plan, and his promise to me is that the path he laid out for me filled with certain joys and certain sorrows will be all I need to know him as he would have me know him. So that if it's cancer for me at 36 and death at 37, he's been good. Or if I get to be 90 and never struggle, and everything just goes right for me, like I'm just walking, stumble across a thing of gold. And I ask, is this yours? He's like, mm-mm, I think it's yours. And he just gives it to me. And at 90 years old, I'm benching 315, and all my kids walk around in Shekinah glory, and, and, all, and I got a house in Thyatira. Praise his name. But David was right. David would say, don't give me the gold and don't give me the house if I won't worship you. And, and praise your name that you won't put into my life anything that you won't sustain for the sake of your name. So here's, so this is why Paul says the things he says, man. 
This is why it doesn't matter if he's being tortured or if he's being left alone, if he's staying in a rich woman's house or he's sleeping on the streets, if they beat him with sticks or they love him. He don't care. It doesn't matter to him. There's the mission. There's the gospel. And everything, like, like if you'll try to get this into your head, the purpose behind everything in all of history is the proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. To every, like here, this afternoon, I'm going to get on an airplane. I still, it blows my mind every time they do it. Like, I don't get scared. I just go, God, I mean, this should not work. It shouldn't. And then I'll get a little nervous. And I'm like, no, I trust you. All right. But I, I mean, I'll be on. When I get on a plane, like when I get, I put my hand on the side and go, all right. And I go in. You got me. And then if we get bumpy, I'm like, Lord, if you will send an angel to take me out of here before the plane goes down, I will, if we can do an Elijah thing, we're a chariot angel come up to me and go look this is about to go bad hop on this chariot and get us out of there i would be grateful it doesn't have to go out like that but i would appreciate it like that you know I, i'm just you know why god gave us an airplane so the gospel would be known and heard you know why we're able to develop the internet so the gospel would be known and heard you know why gas is so cheap so that the gospel and i know we're like too lying cheap trust me go to london it's like nine dollars a gallon it's cheap you know, I mean, on and on, everything exists for God to fulfill the plan that he set out when he pulled Abraham aside and said, I'm going to take back the whole world. I'm going to take back the whole world starting here. Let's go. The whole world. So trains, planes, automobiles, Internet, personal computers, the iPhone is about the gospel. It is. I don't know how. Okay. Hold the blackjack is about the gospel. All right. The. ATT flip phone that you got that just came with the, uh, the contract you signed. That's about the gospel. It's all about the go music, about the gospel. Every advance, even made by wicked men, has as its foundation and purpose the fulfillment of the plans of God for mankind. It transcends everything, man. It transcends everything, which is why Paul ends chapter 1 like he does. All right, look at this. Starting in 19. We'll start that little first sentence, in eight, that last sentence in 18. Yes, and I will rejoice. For I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. As it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not at all be ashamed, but with full courage. Now, as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. Now, listen to 21. For me to live is Christ. Of course it is. Like, what else has he got? He's seen Lydia. She is all that you would ever want to be. Wealthy, powerful, self-made, respectful, house, jet, boat. She is everything you could want and all that you see on television. And she was a slave to it who hated it and begged God to save her. What's he going to run to that? Is he going to run to that? He saw the slave girl imprisoned by emotion, imprisoned by, exploited by. What, what's he going to do? Try to run to divination, run to some other type of spiritual power that in the end betrays and doesn't deliver? Of course to live is Christ. What's he going to be indifferent? He going to fill his life with sports and trinkets? He saw, he saw the Roman soul. He, he was a slave to those things. What's of course to live is Christ. What else is there and that's why he also says oh yeah and to die is gain to die is gain man there's there's a better day than this there's a better table than this there's a better bed than this 
There's a better house than this. There's a better body than this. There's a more full experience than this. There's a, and on and on, there's better food than this. Better wine than this. Better friendships than this. More full relationships than this. Better worship. Like, you ever thought about it? Like, you ever been in that room where you, he was just there? Like, you, somebody tap you on the shoulder, you're nervous to look around, it might be Christ. Like, I don't know if you've ever been in that room. Like, you don't want to look up. You're a little nervous. I don't know if you've had that experience where you've just felt the weight of the glory of God, the Holy Spirit in your midst. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. Just, just got to smell the bread. You didn't even get to eat it. You just got to smell it in that moment. So what, what's worship going to be like when all of this is stripped away, when our legs don't get tired, when we don't lose our voice, when there's only ever-increasing joy, when there... That's why Paul goes, to die is gay, man. This is not home for me. So I'm not going to live like it's home. I'm not going to take all my stuff out of my bag. I'm not going to take it all out of my bag. This is not my house. To die is gain. But while he's here, let's finish this. While he's here. For if I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me, which means Christ is going to keep saving Lydia and the slave girl. And yet, which I... If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet, what shall I choose? I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. All right. Now, now we're going to go here. I've got to go quickly. I mean, I could go another hour here, but like I said, I've got a flight to catch. So let, let, me, let me try to wrap this up. Look, look here. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ so that whether I come and see you are absent, I may hear of what that you are. Here's what he wants for Lydia. Here's what he wants for the slave girl. Here's what he wants for the jailer. Here's what he wants for us. That I may hear that you are standing firm in one spirit, Right? standing firm in one spirit. If you take these three people that we've highlighted, um, each one of them is going to bring something a little bit different to the body, aren't they? Like Lydia is the intellect who already is an expert on the Torah. What do you think she's going to bring to the body? She's got the intellect. She's got the knowledge of the Torah. She can point out Jesus in the text. All right? She's got money. She can fund the kingdom. Slave girl's emotive. She's got the testimony. Slave girl is the one on the front row sobbing every time we sing. She's bringing passion to the joint. Bringing passion to the joint. That, that jailer, he's serving in any way he can. He's looking around going, I'm going to vacuum that. I'm going to pick those up. I'm going to break that. I'm going to fix that right there. I'm going to duty bound. This brother is. He is going to do whatever. Toilet's overflowing. I got that. No, you go worship. I got it. Stand as one. Man, if you could ever learn to just love who God made you to be and walk in that, that would be a beautiful thing. So too many of us go, oh, that's what I wanted. You'd be much happier just walking where the Lord has you. <laughs> All right. Two, and this is a big one. Two. He wants them standing firm in one spirit with one mind striving side by side for faith in the gospel. Okay. He's talking about progressive sanctification here. I also, I, I don't want to paint a picture that's not here. You, you think these three people that we've highlighted are going to have separate problems in regards to sanctification? You think Lydia might, after a while, struggle with pride? 
You think after a while, I mean, she's so smart. Everything she touches turns to gold. She don't know what chariot to take to church. You think after a while, a slave girl's going to get on her nerves just a little bit? You think God's going to need to break that pride in her over and over and over and over again? You think God's going to have to protect her from the sins of that can birth out of comfort, wealth, and success? The little slave girl that's been exploited. Like when that first young Christian man walks up to her and says, Hey, you want to get some coffee? You think she's going to struggle with trust? You think she's going to have a habit of getting into bad relationships? You think, I mean, come on, this thing's messy. Anybody who says it ain't messy ain't been involved. They're preachers who don't know people. Because this thing is messy. Always has been. There ain't no glory days. There's a glory day. It's that way. It ain't back there. So you, you think she's, what about, our, what about our boy, the jailer? You think he's going to have some legalism problems? You think that fool, he's so duty-bound? You think it, it ain't going to be in a second for He's got a list where he's like, who's not reading my utmost for his highest? Because you ain't saved if you ain't reading my utmost for his highest. You don't know the Lord. You know, what kind of worship is that? That's not how we worship, so it's obviously not correct. You think our boy's so duty-bound to the Roman Empire, isn't going to find what chained him back then, try to be used by the enemy in the new world on him? It is. So here, Paul, see, one of the things what happens when you start teaching grace a lot is that people forget that on top of all that grace, Paul still presses people to toil, strive, work, labor, go. We don't sit around and wait. We go. Now, can we do? No, you can't awaken your heart, but you can get under that waterfall. You can get under the waterfall, that grace, ask it to pour on you. You don't sit on our couch and say, free me. I'll be right here. No, you strive. I love where Paul says, labor with me in prayer. Nobody had ever told me that praying was difficult. Like everybody just assumed everybody it was just a natural, beautiful thing for everybody. Like you get saved next morning, hour and a half. Lord, I love you. Here's some things I want to talk about. Here's how the, I wasn't that way. I'm, I'm up here so much, man. I'm reading, I'm thinking, I'm breaking it down. That prayer for me is laborious. I felt so guilty for that for so long because I love the Lord. I love him. My heart churns for him. Prayers are difficult, man. I'm ADD. You could pick up on that, man. I'm all over that. I don't even know where I am right now. So my boy, my boy Paul comes in. He goes, Matt, calm down. Labor with me in prayer. Work with me. Labor with me in prayer. That's good news for me. So are you progressing? Because that's what he says, strive. Strive means move forward. Go. Claw. Scratch. Go. Are you striving? Sure. I love this last one. 28. And not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake, engaged in the same conflict that I have. And now here, now that you here, I still have fearless in the sight of our enemies. Why? To die is gain. Like what can they take from us? I mean, think about it. What, there'll be a day where real coolness is revealed. 
And in that day, none of the old coolness will matter at all. It will actually be a stench. There will be, I mean, what are they going to take from us? They can't. They got, your enemies can't take anything from you. Your pride, you shouldn't have any. That bank account should be empty. Take your pride. Well, I don't have any. Good luck. Can't rob what I ain't got. What could they take? Your money, your house, your life. Your, what could our enemies take from us? To die is gain. To live is Christ. Fearless we should be. Fearless we should be. All right. So the gospel transcends it all. Here we are today, you and me, in our part of the great story, our 40 years. Pray we'll be faithful with it. All right, let's pray. Father, we love you, but we want to love you more. Um, we come to you this morning and just confess some things. We confess where we've thought there are people in our lives and around us that are too lost, too busted up, and too dark to receive salvation. Forgive us for that. It's not true. Forgive us where our way has become the way and not a way. And in so doing, we've sinned against our brothers. Forgive us for getting angry and frustrated about circumstances that in the end promote your good, your gospel, your story. And that you would use us, both joy and suffering in us, to glorify your name. To create worship in us. And so forgive us where we've gotten a little bitter, a little angry, a little foolish. Where we've forgotten that there is a resurrection, there is an eternity coming. And that one day all things will make sense. For now we have faith, for now we have trust, for now we love your goodness in all things. Father, I pray that we might stand in one spirit, 50-year-olds and 20-year-olds, rich and poor, intellects and emotives, and that we might be a beautiful picture of what happens when the gospel fills souls. Thank you that you just hadn't saved us personally. You've saved us to you and you've saved us to each other. That I am my brother's keeper. And that you have commanded me to outdo him in honor so that if there is a rivalry, if there is a competition, that competition is to out-honor one another. I pray for this church. pray that your Holy Spirit would fall on it. That every time E opened his mouth, Deuce opened his mouth, ministers here opened their mouth, your power would fall on this building. I pray financial blessing on this place. I pray that be in your will for them. I pray this thing could get renovated and built out. I pray for this neighborhood. I thank you that, it, that at this time next year there will be men and women in here worshiping your name and renown who right now know nothing of you or who have a wrong version of you in their heart and mind. And I thank you that you're coming after them. And right now you're working in the hearts and lives of these men and women because you're coming after them. I thank you that we get to be a part of your story, your thing, what you're doing. I thank you that by your grace alone, you've saved us.
that you've saved some of us despite our intellect, and you've saved some of us despite our emotion, and you've saved some of us despite our indifference. I thank you that we do have a boast. It's you. So may that always be on our lips, always be on our heart, always be on our head. And it's for your beautiful name. Amen.